morning tonight. You may be seated. All right. If you have your Bibles, open up to Proverbs chapter number 30. Proverbs chapter number 30. And uh, we're going to finish up Proverbs chapter 30 this evening. And uh, uh, as we look at this, this chapter has been a little bit different because it's, uh, as you notice in the verse number one, the words of Agur, the son of Jakey. And uh, we kind of looked at that at the very beginning of the chapter, but it's been a little bit of a different chapter and a little bit of a different uh, point of view or, or perspective, I guess, and uh, a lot of nature that he's covered in this chapter. And I've found that, uh, I've actually found some of that very interesting to look at the nature and the, the things that he has uh, brought out uh, in this chapter. And this evening we're going to look at the uh, embodiment of wisdom, the embodiment of wisdom. That would be as Christians... Our life choices are to embody wisdom. That means that our actions should be made out of wise decisions. And this should be evident even to a casual observer. They may not necessarily agree or think that they're wise, but they would obviously note that there was something uh, different about that person's life or maybe consistent or maybe uh, something regular uh, about their life. And so uh, that's something interesting as as we finished up the last section of the verses we we ended on spider and I knew that was a bad thing to end on and uh, and I heard about it when I got home uh, everyone thought they had the 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 EGB, EGBBs, I don't know, whatever they had all over them. And so, uh, and I knew that, I, but it's not my fault, all right? So blame Ager, it's his fault because he stopped on spiders in that, that set of four. Uh, but uh, uh, certainly we don't have to necessarily like spiders, but there's certainly observations that we can make of them. And so uh, my idea is, or thought there is, is that the world would look at us and they might not like what we do. They might not like the way we live our life. They may not agree with everything that we do, but they certainly notice some things about our life that are peculiar. That's a good thing. Uh, that's not necessarily a bad thing. And I'm not talking about trying to be strange. You don't have to go out of your way uh, to be strange in this world. Uh, we've got enough of them, all right? We don't need any more. Uh, but just be normal. But, but if you're living for the Lord, you're going to be different in this world. You're just not going to line up uh, with what the world thinks. And so uh, that's really what this, the idea is here in these verses. Look with me in verse number 29. Proverbs chapter 30 and verse number 29. And again, he's going to go with the three things and then four. And he goes in verse number 29. There be three things which go well, yea, four are comely in going. A lion, which is strongest among beasts and turneth not away for any. A greyhound and he goat also and a king against whom there is no rising up. If thou hast done foolishly in lifting up thyself, or if thou hast thought evil, lay thine hand upon thy mouth. Surely the churning of milk bringeth forth butter, and the wringing of the nose bringeth forth blood, so the forcing of wrath bringeth forth strife. I like that last verse. It's just kind of interesting. I heard, I'll never forget one preacher. He said, uh, uh, he was talking with somebody and, and somebody said, well, I don't, I don't believe the Bible's true. 
And he says, well, I can prove to you the Bible's true. He says, no, you can't. He says, oh, yes, I can. You just let me punch you in the nose, and I bet blood will come out. And he said, I'm not letting you punch, you punch me in the nose. He said, well, that's what the Bible says in Proverbs 30, in verse number 33. He says, surely the ringing of the nose bringeth forth blood. And, and, uh, and so he wanted to prove him that the Bible was true. But uh, uh, he, I, don't, I don't think that's a good idea, okay? Don't go trying that. But I, I never, I'll never forget that, that uh, uh, there's certainly some truth there. So as we look at these verses, let's think about the embodiment of wisdom and how our actions uh, will display uh, wisdom throughout our life. Before we get into this, though, let's go to the Lord in prayer and have a word of prayer. Father, we thank you just for your goodness to us. Thank you, Father, for your many blessings. Thank you for the Word of God that we can study, that we can meditate upon, that we can uh, think upon, that we can learn from, be encouraged from, strengthen from, and grow from. God, I pray that you would just use me this evening. God, I pray that you would touch each and every heart as only you can. Help us as we examine these things, God, to apply them to our lives. And that we could be the embodiment of wisdom. That people could look at our life and say, that person's different and they're a Christian. And God, will certainly thank you for that. And we'll give you the honor and glory for all that's said and done. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. As we look at these first few verses, 29 through 31, I want to take this, uh, this group of four, and, uh, and they're kind of like the ones prior that he gives one, one idea, and then he gives four different uh, supporting natural things uh, that are there. So look with me again in verse 29. He says this, There be three things which go well, yea, four are comely, in going. Now that word comely is an old word, but it means beautiful or uh, something that is good in, uh, in its coming, in its, in its walking, or in its, its movement. And so verses 29 through 31, I put down uh, our movements and how they are to be uh, good. If you think about the verses, uh, that the, the, the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. And, and think about how we live our life and we would conduct and carry ourselves throughout life. And he gives us here four examples that I believe that are very helpful. Uh, it's kind of interesting because in this one it's a little different than the, the first uh, set that he had given us. Uh, in that the two he gives us, he, he kind of gives us a little bit more. And then he gives us two, he just flat out names them. He says, uh, the, I'll give you the example here in verse number 30. A lion, and then he gives an example, which is strongest among the beasts, and turneth not away for any. But then in 31, he just gives us two things, a greyhound and a he-goat. And he doesn't give us really any explanation. And then he goes on in verse 31, and he says, A king against whom there is no uprising up. And so he gives us a little bit of something to go on there, uh, but, uh, but he just kind of leaves us with those, one, those two of them that we'll look at. And uh, we're going to look at all four of them, but those two, uh, we're, we're kind of left on our own to come up with, hey, what's the analogy and how do these correlate to our movement? So the first one he comes up with, though, is a lion. And he says this, which is strongest among beasts and turneth not away for any. And obviously the lion would stand for strength. And as a Christian, we, we ought to walk and we ought to live our life uh, just as bold as a lion would live our life. 
We don't have a reason to be dim, timid. We don't have a reason to be fearful. We don't have a reason uh, to, be, uh, to walk around with our heads down. Uh, as Christians, we are saved. We are born again. We are uh, the children of God. And the Bible says this in Proverbs 28.1, The wicked flee when no man pursueth, but the righteous are bold as a lion. Isn't that interesting? And it correlates right with this verse because he's saying a lion which is strongest among beasts. And we ought to live, if you live right and you live uh, in a good relationship with God, hey, we've got every reason to be able to, uh, to raise our head and walk with confidence and be, uh, be content and be happy in this lifetime no matter what the world thinks. No matter what the world does, uh, Christians have been persecuted over the years. But listen, they've been bold as lions even in the persecution. You can go back and read uh, some of the stories of the Fox's Book of Martyrs and, and other Christians who have passed away and died for the cause of Christ, but they died singing the praises of Jesus Christ. Bold as a lion, not fearful. We find that uh, that's what he's getting at here is that we can be bold, we can be fearless. The Bible says in 2 Timothy 1.7, For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and love and of a sound mind. And uh, we don't have to have fear. We don't have to have fear. The, the Bible was giving one of the prophets, I, I'm not for sure if it was Moses or Jeremiah, one of the two, were uh, one of the other prophets perhaps, and he said, hey, fear not their faces. In other words, stand up with boldness and proclaim the Word of God. And listen, when we go out and we witness to other people, hey, we can be bold as lions. We don't have to be fearful. We don't have to be timid. We don't have to fear the faces of people. We don't have to fear failure if you're living for God. Hey, we can, we can live for God and do what's right. We don't have to fear their faces. We don't have to fear failure. We don't have to fear fatality. Amen. When we die... Where are we headed? Praise the Lord, heaven. I mean, uh, it's, it's a graduation. Now, I'm not looking to go tomorrow, but I mean, if I died today, hey, I'd wake up in heaven. And, uh, and I tell you what, I'd be better off, amen? Um, now, I, I'm just saying, we, we don't have a fear of those things. And he's saying here that the lion, which is strongest among beasts. Now, we don't, I was, as I was thinking about that, we don't have all of that strength in and of ourselves, but we have that strength tapped in because of God. Boy, you spend time with God, you walk with God in your life, and man, you can have that boldness of a lion because I, I wish I would have wrote that down. The Bible says, oh, I remember it. It's Revelation, if I'm not mistaken, 5.5 5 or 25 or something of that nature. And it's talking about Jesus Christ. And it says that he is the lion of the tribe of Judah. And I thought, boy, we need to tap in to the power of Jesus Christ. And he said, if you abide in me, then, then you will bring forth much fruit and there's much that we can, do, we can do with the power of God on our lives. A lion which is strongest among the beasts. It's just, could you imagine just watching, I don't, I don't know if you watch nature shows or not, but I, I always liked nature shows. There's just something about watching a lion walk. I mean, they just, they, every step is like, they're going forward, they're courageous, they have no fear. 
And they're going to go where they're going to go, and there's no stopping them. Look with me at the second half of that verse. He says there, And turneth not away for any. Lions are not known for retreat. Lions are not known for fear, but they're known for their courage and their stance in the face of any danger. And as Christians, uh, I thought of this song, Stand up, stand up for Jesus, ye soldiers of the cross. When we sing that, we ought to stand up for Jesus. We ought to have uh, boldness in our life uh, because uh, as the Bible says in Proverbs 28.1 that I gave you earlier, the righteous are bold as a lion. And we can and we should have boldness in our life. Look with me the next one. He says there in verse 31, two words, simply a greyhound. Now, I thought, good night, Agar. Couldn't you give me a little something to go on there? When I think of a greyhound, I don't know if you know much about dogs, but a, a greyhound is one of those tall dogs, and they're slender. Uh, I pulled up a couple pictures of them, and I was looking at them, and, and, and you notice like their lung capacity is like double the rest of their body. I mean, they're just, they're made for runners, and, and, they're, uh, and then they got that little tiny stomach. I mean, it goes up, and it kind of arches up, and then those big, long legs, and they are made, uh, they're, they're actually great at running. That's one of their things they are, but they're an actually, they're, they're a type of a hound dog. They're a hunting a dog. And uh, they're one of the oldest breeds in the world as far as uh, being known, obviously, even in Bible times. And uh, they're known for several things. They're known for their keen eyesight to be able to spot things that are far away. Uh, if a hunter kills a prey or bird or uh, kills something, then uh, usually the hound dogs will run out and they'll fetch it and they'll bring it back. That's, a, that's the hunting hound, job, hound dog job. Uh, they'll go retrieve it and they'll bring it back and, and, uh, or they'll track it down or chase it down or whatever the need is there. But that's kind of the idea uh, of this greyhound. And, uh, and as you think about that, the spiritual application to that is as a Christian, uh, we, ought to be, uh, we ought to be swift in our movements and speed. In other words, that our life would not be cluttered down with the weight of sin. The Bible says this in Hebrews 12, 1, Wherefore, seeing we are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. And if you think about that greyhound, you think about the epitome of a, of a slim running dog that is not weighted down with anything. I mean, he is ready to roll. He can, he can uh, run fast. He can run long distances. And the idea I think that he's talking about, because he gives us the idea that it's movement, so as a lion would be bold in its movement, then a greyhound would be very swift in its movement. He would not be weighted down. And as Christians, listen, we ought not weight down our, our life with the sin of the world. We ought to have a keen eyesight that would allow us spiritually to see things that maybe other people cannot see as we, as we go through this world. And so we're talking about movement and the lion's strength, the greyhound's swiftness. He goes on and he gives us another one. He says, the he-goat. 
Again, he doesn't give us much to go on there. He just simply mentions it. As I think about the he-goat, I had to look him up. I'm thinking, I don't really know much about a goat. The only thing I know about a goat is my dad always used to say, well, that's a goat rope. And I said, well, what is a goat rope? And he said, you ever had a goat tied up? And I said, no. He said, if you tie a goat up, he said, you have to go untangle it every 30 seconds. He said, it's the most miserable thing. He said, so don't do it. That's a goat rope. It just ties up all your time and you got to constantly tend to it. That's what a goat rope is. But uh, uh, I didn't know. I don't know. I still don't know much about goats. But I looked up goats and and, uh, one of the things I do think about goats is this that I found is that they're constantly seeking a little bit higher ground. They're constantly wanting to climb. If you ever been in the pen with those little goats, you know, the little ones that are cute and they have in all the petting zoos. And uh, if they ever have stuff in there, those goats are constantly getting up on top of the hay bales or if they have a little shed. They'll try and get up on top of that shed. And they're tr- constantly trying to uh, get to a higher position in their life. And I thought, boy, that's applicable as a Christian. Uh, Listen, we ought to desire higher ground in our life. The Bible says in Colossians 3, 1, If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. We see that the lion is strength. We see that the greyhound is swiftness. We see that the the he-goat is seeking higher ground. And and that's what we ought to be seeking in our life. And not seeking just to maintain the norm where we are. Not seeking to, uh, to wander away from God. But rather seeking to draw closer to God by getting higher uh, in our spiritual lives. And, and, and looking unto God. Seeking higher. And then he ends it, this set of four, with this, he says, And a king against whom there is no rising. And he ends it with the movements of a king. That would be a stately, eloquent entrance. You could imagine a king. You could, could you imagine Solomon and arrayed in all of his glory, one of the wisest kings? and all of, all of Israel and, and, and his uh, palace was, was immaculate and, and they had the greatest riches probably in the time of Solomon than any others and, and his soldiers were lined up there with their shields and, and he, would, he would step out with a stately entrance with all of his uh, eloquence and all of his ability and, and the people would just be in awe. Matter of fact, the Queen of Sheba went to see the eloquence and the stateliness of, of King Solomon and there's nothing like that graceful entrance uh, of somebody that is, uh, that is of the stature of, of, of King Solomon. And listen, as a Christian, our life should be that of that people could look at it and say, man, that's the kind of life I want to have. A life that's stately, a life that's unspotted from the world, a life that's just, man, it just looks good the way he goes and moves and does this and does that. And he's talking about the movement and he gives us those four illustrations, the lion with the strength, the greyhound with the swiftness, the the he-goat seeking the higher elevation and the king with his stately entrance. And, And certainly our life ought to embody Uh, the wisdom in the choices that we make. And as we live our life and as we decide things that are wise in our life,
life, having gone through the book of Proverbs, there's many choices that we can make that would, that would allow us to, uh, to encapsulate all of these qualities in our life. They would be movements, they would be a way of which we would live our life. Then from there he moves on and he says this in verse 32. He says, If thou hast done foolishly in lifting up thyself, or if thou hast thought evil, lay thine hand upon thy mouth. We find the movements there in 29 through 31. But in verse 32 we find mistakes. And what I love about the Word of God is this, and what I love actually in all of this is we know, you and I, we know we make mistakes. And God gives us here a remedy for those mistakes. And if you look there, He says, If thou hast done foolishly, in lifting thyself up. There's a couple stumblings that I would say that he gives here. The one stumbling is that of pride. And anybody really could get carried away with pride. Matter of fact, many, many of us have in our lifetime many times. I mean, uh, if you've done anything and, and think back to your childhood and, and your parent has said, wow, you did really good at that. Boy, your smile comes across your face and your head blows up to about three times your size and, and you're thinking, man, I am, I am really good at that. And, 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 uh, and you think, man, I am the best at that. And, and, and that's kind of a childish illustration, but the truth is the matter is we, we kind of even tend to have those thoughts even when we get older. If somebody just says, well, you're really, you do good at that, and, 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 and we become prideful, and we become uh, thinking more of ourselves than we really ought to think, and, and we've got to be careful of that, and that's why I think he points that out. He says, if thou hast done foolishly in lifting up thyself, in other words, thinking more of yourself, or maybe boasting more of yourself than you ought to have done, uh, he's saying, hey, if, if you do that, or if thou hast thought evil, well, that's another stumbling is, is just thoughts that run through our mind and not even uh, always impure thoughts, but more so sometimes vengeful, sometimes malicious or hurtful, or, uh, or it could be perverse thoughts that run through our mind. And he says, uh, listen, if those are the things, if there's things that have caused you to stumble in your life, he says this, lay thine hand upon thy mouth. In other words, you ever, you ever done something and, uh, and maybe, you, you know, you drop something or you spill something. You're like, oh, and you're like, oh, man. And, and you gasp and you kind of put your hand on your mouth. And that's kind of what I think he's, he's saying is, is, is understand and recognize, hey, you've messed up in your life. You know, our first tendency whenever we make a mistake and our first uh, thought uh, is, man, I hope nobody saw that, and you kind of sweep it under the carpet. You say, man, I hope, I hope that was, nobody noticed that. And, and listen, we're prone to make mistakes. 
We have a sin nature that dwells in, within us and we have the Holy Spirit that dwells within us and, and both of those things, they, they, they fight back and forth within our life and the, the truth of the matter is we are prone to make a mistake. But listen, as he says here, he says, hey, uh, lay thy hand to thy mouth. In other words, hey, don't, don't be happy with that mistake. Don't try to cover it up. He says that in another place. He says um, in Proverbs 28, verse number 13, he that covers Covereth his sins shall not prosper, but whoso confesseth and forsaketh shall have mercy. In other words, hey, don't just sweep it under the cover, uh, under the under the carpet, and pretend, oh, it never happened, and and oh, I didn't do that, and and try and cover it up. He's saying, hey, put your hand over your mouth, and whoa, I messed up. Yeah, I recognize there's something not right there, and and he's saying, hey, don't just uh, uh, don't don't mess up and then keep going down that same path. He's saying, hey, stop and recognize that a problem was made and that a mistake was made in your life. And he says this: uh, the the implication is get it right and then get back on your feet. The idea in another verse in Proverbs 24, 16, it says, For a just man falleth seven times and riseth up again, but the wicked fall into mischief. In other words, they fall into mischief and they stay down. They don't bother getting back up. They don't bother recognizing, oh, this is the error of my way. They don't bother thinking, oh, I've done wrong. They're not surprised by it. They just stay in their mischief. But a righteous man, the Bible says, uh, will, will rise up again and say, man, I don't want to stay down there. I don't want to stay in that place. He'll put his hand to his mouth. Oh, man, I messed up. I hope I can uh, get this straightened out. And, and God help me with that. And, and God certainly will help us if we'll cry to him. So we see the movements that he gives us in the first set of verses. And then we see the mistakes in verse number 32 where he says, hey, don't stay. Stay there. I want you to notice in verse number 33, lastly, the maturity. This is an interesting verse. The more I looked at it, I've always thought it was interesting just because I like the one phrase and the, the ringing forth of the, the nose bringeth forth blood. And, and, uh, but, uh, but I want you to look at this with me. The Bible says here in verse 33, Surely the churning of milk bringeth forth butter. And the ringing of the nose bringeth forth blood, so the forcing of wrath bringeth forth strife. Now churning milk to bring forth butter. Now I had to look it up because I've never churned milk to make butter. I'm just not, that's just not me. But I, I went home, I really, I wanted to make butter. I thought, I, that's so easy, I could do that. Man, get butter, and I got enough energy. Just put it in a little jar, put a top on, and, and shake it for eight minutes. And, and I, I, I wanted to do that, but I didn't do it today. But, uh, but, but you think about it, the, the churning of butter, and then I was reading a little bit more about it, and there's a little bit more to it than that. you got to make sure it's the right temperature and this and that. There's, there's some technicalities to it that, that really it kind of requires a little bit of skill and a little bit of know-how. And it's not as simplistic as, uh, I mean, yes, you can just, you can, you can give, uh, give uh, somebody the work and they can, just, they can just stir it. That would be okay. And the idea there is that it requires some skill. It requires some knowledge. It requires some effort. It requires uh, some time uh, to make that butter. 
But if you look at the next phrase, it's almost like they're two separate phrases and they don't even go in the same verse because he says, and the ringing of the nose bringeth forth blood. And you say, one point he's talking about butter and milk and the next point he's talking about wringing a nose and, and somebody having a bloody nose. And how do these two things go together? And uh, I, so I was thinking about that, and I was really uh, studying that and looking at those two things. And, and, and in the analogy, I mean, it's, it's completely right the way they've given it to us, but we miss one thing because, because of the Hebrew, and that is the word churning and the word ringing are the same words in Hebrew. Sometimes in languages, uh, you have a word that means two different things. And there's, in the Hebrew, which I don't read Hebrew, but, uh, but if you did, there's a little bit of poetry there. There's a pun, there's a play on words of why he put these two things together. And the key word in the center is the, the churning and the ringing. And uh, now, ringing, uh, ringing somebody's nose, uh, boy, really, I mean, if you grab somebody's nose like that, you twist it, uh, you pull it, you do something with their nose, it's going gonna, it's gonna to bleed. Even easier, you just double your fist, you pop them in the nose, all right, it's going to bleed. Now, let me ask you this, how much skill, how much knowledge does it take to wring somebody's nose? Zero. Absolutely zero. Matter of fact, out of anger, somebody could do it. Pop, pop somebody in the nose. By surprise, it takes no time, and, uh, and boom, they've got a bloody nose. I mean, it really doesn't take any effort. It really doesn't take any uh, skill. It doesn't take anything uh, to cause somebody's nose to bleed. So on the first side, he's saying, hey, the churning of milk, which is an intentional belaborment of milk that would, uh, that would cause it to turn into butter. But the second thereof is the wringing of somebody's nose, which really takes no effort, takes no labor, takes no skill, but yet it produces a result. And as you look at that, at the end, he says this, So the forcing of wrath bringeth forth strife. And the idea there that if you have skill and if you know labor and if you know how to work things correctly that you can build something out of somebody's life. If you ask me, butter is better than milk. I mean, when I make toast, I don't put milk on it. Do you? I put butter on it because it tastes better. Amen? So, so butter comes out of a product of milk, but it requires labor, it requires knowledge, and it requires skill. And if you're going to take somebody's life, and you're going to help them, and you're going to work with them, and you're going to build upon their life, and you're going to encourage them and strengthen them in the Lord and in the things of the Lord, then it requires labor, and it requires effort, and it requires timing, and it requires all the, the things that would go into that to make that life better better. But it doesn't take any effort to destroy somebody. And it doesn't take any effort whatsoever to wring somebody's nose. And it doesn't take any effort whatsoever, as the Bible says here, uh, to bring forth strife. The forcing of wrath bringeth forth strife. 
And I think the idea there is that with labor, no matter what it is, if we're building a person, if we're helping a person's life, then it requires labor, it requires effort, it requires time, it requires knowledge and investing in that person so that that person comes out on the other side better. But if you don't invest and if you don't do all of those things and, and, and it doesn't take any effort uh, or, or knowledge to wring somebody's nose to get frustrated with somebody to become wrathful and strike out at somebody else and it causes strife instead of making something better. And I don't know, that's about the best I could come up with in that verse as far as what does that mean. I mean, it's all rolled and it's all encapsulated into one verse and I think this, it requires maturity to take a life that needs help and makes something better of it. The churning of butter, or the churning of milk, bringeth forth butter. The wringing of the nose bringeth forth blood. And if you don't have the spiritual maturity and you don't have the ability to help that person, then, uh, then instead of just lashing out and causing strife, uh, it would be better off to let somebody help that person who does have maturity. But I think we ought to be mature Christians. And so we ought to arrive to a point where we can be mature in helping other Christians along their way in their life to bring forth butter instead of strife. And as we look at that, we do see that it requires maturity. It requires effort. It requires work on our part. And so we see the movement that he gives. We see, we see the lion, the greyhound, the, 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 the he-goat, and the king. We see them the... Um, mistakes that are made and how we ought to learn and acknowledge from them, but then the maturity in helping others to go forth and not gendering strife, but encouraging and strengthening other people. And as we think about that, those are, that is the embodiment really of wisdom and what Agur would like for us to be able to accomplish in our life as Christians, since we ought to work to those ends and we ought to strive to have those things in our life. As we uh, stand to our feet with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, we think about these things. We certainly need God's help to be able to do them. It's not something that will come naturally or easily to anyone. Father, we thank you for your goodness to us. Thank you, Father, for your word. God, the, the incredible depth and wisdom that's recorded for us in the book of Proverbs, God, is even beyond my ability to define it or grasp it. But God, I pray that you'd help us to get what we can from your wisdom and to apply it to our lives and God, to be wiser because of your word. To be wiser in the way we live our life. To be wise in our everyday actions, in our movements, God. To be bold in strength like lions. Swift, not burdened down by sin and seeking higher ground as Christians. 
to grow closer to you and the stateliness of a king. And God, when we do make mistakes, help us to acknowledge them and repent of them and confess them and get them right and get back right on track, Father, that we wouldn't stay down, but that we'd jump right back into service for you. And God, when we help us to be mature in building other people and investing in other people, and God, help us to know the right things to say, the right words to use, the right actions, that we could be a help and a blessing and an encouragement and build other people's lives. God, I pray that you'd bless each and every person that's here tonight. And Father, we'll thank you for that. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. As we have a short hymn of invitation.